We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I am your host. Patrick Moran, thank you very much as always for locking in, whether you're listening to us on the audio side, Apple, Spotify, wherever you may get your audio podcast from, or whether you're checking us out on the video side via YouTube. Thank you very much. And if you are watching this, the video anyway, please make sure that you like, subscribe, comment on the video. It really helps us continue to grow the show here on the video side. I hope that with a night's sleep that you feel a little bit better about the Buffalo Bills, maybe in some cases, mine included, about your life after a uh, heartbreaking, demoralizing Buffalo Bills season-ending field goal loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Divisional Round Sunday night in Orchard Park. A To some extent, in the eyes of many anyway, especially if you're a, a Bills player, somebody in the organization, or fan of the team, a premature ending uh, to the season. Very disappointing. Anyway, today I'm going to spend a handful of minutes kind of giving my game takeaways, maybe to some extent my Bills season ending takeaways, not just from this game specifically, but from uh, the season. You know, I, I did the show immediately following the game on Sunday night. I did a live stream on the video side anyway. Didn't really have a chance to to put notes together, tape it, put it out there maybe 30, 40 minutes after a game. And when you do that, you're, you know, you're in the moment. And that part, I think people who watch or, or listen to the show, they can appreciate the uh, the emotion that you feel. But it's really hard to have measured thoughts and measured opinions because you're reacting in the heat of the moment. Um in many cases Certainly mine, I did not have a chance to to really watch most or any of the game back. So what I did on Monday was spend a very good chunk of the day torturing myself, rewatched the game, uh, went through the uh, All-22 Coaches film, looked for some trends, some things. I went to some of the big plays of the game, the good stuff and the bad, the biggest plays for the Bills, both good and bad, 
and kind of went to to look at some of the reasons why they worked or why they didn't work. And like I said, and I said this on the show when I did an immediate post game, when you have a little bit of time to to kind of calm down a little bit and be able to rewatch stuff, it kind of puts in perspective some opinions that you formulate in the moments after the game. Sometimes the opinion that you have, you might strengthen it when you watch the game back. Sometimes it might actually change your opinion. You might say, well, I thought this guy was great or I thought this guy really sucked. Then you watch the game and you realize, you know what? I was wrong. So I'm just going to talk about a, a handful of things, nothing crazy and nothing to take up too much of your time today. And uh, we'll get to that in just a second. I, I want to start here though, because and this has nothing to do necessarily with the actual game itself, or at least the outcome of the game. But I feel almost weird. And I am taping this very, very late on a Monday night. I want to put that out there as well. I mean, I'm talking like this is well after 11 p.m. on Monday night when I'm recording this. I feel oddly a little bit relieved almost. And I know that sounds crazy, but I actually, there's a part of me that feels a little bit relieved. I say that because I might, I not might, I will going forward now have uh, less personal anxiety going forward because after this loss, to some extent, and I know this might not be a popular opinion, but my goal on this show is to always be honest with everybody who cares enough to, to tune in and listen or watch. So I would try to be honest with you, something you want to hear or not, but I've lost some confidence in this organization right now. And so how does that correlate to having less anxiety? Because I don't think I'm going to beat myself up next season like I did this year. Here's a confession. I'm just going to put this out there right now. I personally, and this is my own fault. It's not the bill's fault. It's not no fan's fault. It's not the family's fault. Is my fault, but I did not enjoy this football season, this 2023 Bills season, as much as I should have. I had more anxiety, more angst, more worry with this football team almost from the very beginning of the season. I think that I've had at any point during this Josh Allen, Sean McDermott post-drought era. This to me was the season. This was the last golden opportunity. And we're going to talk for weeks and months, and you're going to hear about the window. And if the Bills window was closed, it's not. How open is the Bills window? Not as wide as it was going into this season. Kind of my point here. The season, the, the, the one's not over. So don't get what I'm saying twisted right now. But part of my anxiety and part of my angst and part of my worry was the feeling that this was the last golden opportunity for the Bills to get to a Super Bowl. At least a Super Bowl with the least resistance. I wanted this one bad. I really did, in part, largely because of that reason. You know, I go back to these last handful of years. 
2020, the Bills get to an AFC championship game. I'm pleasantly surprised. They took the next step from 2019 when they lost. They blew a 16-point lead at Houston, and they lost in the playoffs. The Bills came back the next year, and they got to the AFC championship game. To me, 2020 was, to some extent, at least a pleasant surprise. Then you get to 2021, and yeah, they lose in the divisional round. They lose at Kansas City, one of the best football games you'll ever see. Maybe the best performance by a quarterback you'll ever see in a losing a losing effort. And as much as that game hurt and it stung, and to this day it still resonates because of 13 seconds, there's no way they should have ever lost that game. But as much as that hurt, I told myself, this team is a Super Bowl team. They, they blew it at the end. The coach, not they, the head coach blew it at the end of the game and you got goddamn Superman for a quarterback. This team might go to the Super Bowl three in the next four years. That's the way I felt at the end of the 2021 season. And that's the way I think the league felt. It's certainly the way Vegas felt because the Bills were the betting favorite to go to the Super Bowl in 2022. And then you get to 2022, and they stall out in the AFC Divisional round. They get slapped at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. And you look back at that game in that season, and it's hard not to say, well, they had a player almost die on the field. It was a mentally trying year for them. Vaughn Miller tore his ACL. The guy they paid mega money to looked like a megastar until Thanksgiving. He tears his ACL. All the other big injuries for this team. The weather, having to move games, get games postponed, all kinds of shit going on. So you look at the totality of that season, you're like, oh my God, this sucks. They didn't build on 2021, but I'm going I'm to give them a pass to some extent. A lot of shit happened and that could, uh, you know, weigh, weigh on any team. And it did with the Buffalo Bills because they just weren't ready to play that game against the Bengals. So anyway, fast forward to this season. And to me, this was it. This was their, their golden chance. And as the season unfolded, despite your struggles, you look around the league. And you, you see a team like uh, the Cleveland Browns. They lose their quarterback and they lose Nick Chubb. The Cincinnati Bengals, who have owned the Buffalo Bills the last couple of years, they lose Joe Burrow. They don't even make the playoffs. The Miami Dolphins, sooner or later, they're going to figure their shit out and be able to get over the hump. But I won this year. Soft-ass football team with a bunch of good, skilled players, but can't get over that hump. That's this year. Uh, the New York Jets, four plays into the season. They lose Aaron Rodgers. They're, that ship sinks. And then the Kansas City Chiefs. This was probably as bad, going into this game anyway, as bad as an offense as you've seen during the Pat Mahomes era and quite possibly as bad as you're going to see anytime soon for the Kansas City Chiefs during this Pat Mahomes era. Whether the Chiefs lose next week at Baltimore or whether they win the Super Bowl, you can bet your ass. Getting pass catchers is going to be a priority for the Kansas City Chiefs. So you just look at all that. The Chargers, they lose Justin Herbert. They were supposed to be a really good team, and they completely fizzled out. The Houston Texans, great team, great rookie quarterback. Who would have thought? And they're on the rise. So you look at all these teams. This was the year. This was the golden opportunity for the Bills at home. Winning the division somehow, six and six, and they still win the division, and they get two home playoff games. This was it, man. This was the year. 
And again, that's not to say the Bills are done. That's not to say the Bills are going into rebuilding mode. It's not to say they can't get to the Super Bowl next year and a year after that. I'm just saying it feels to me like this year was the easiest path to get there. And we all knew that. Or at least maybe you didn't. That's the way I felt. And because of the way I felt, I just didn't enjoy the games. I wanted this shit so bad on such a deep level that it actually affected my ability to just relax and enjoy the football game. You know, going into this Kansas City game this weekend, I was thinking about nothing else. From the time I woke up, forget about Sunday morning. From the time I woke up on Saturday morning, all I could do was think of ways to make the time go faster to get to this football game because I didn't want to care or think or do anything else. So factor in all that, just again, the whole season and especially this playoffs, just the anxiety and the angst that I put myself through my own fault, no one's fault but my own. And I'm almost sitting there today a little bit relieved. I don't know. I mean, I certainly would have embraced it. So, you know, I don't want to put words in my mouth that are not true. I don't want to send shit out there that's not true. But I can't imagine the anxiety I would have had this week. I would have enjoyed it. I would not have enjoyed a Bills-Ravens AFC Championship week because I wasn't allowing myself to just enjoy the ride. So anyway, that's why I'm a little bit almost relieved that for the Bills anyway, this season is over. Kind of step back here and I've done it to some extent in the first 24 hours and tell myself, yo, you got to just relax, man. You got to sit back. You got to enjoy football. You got to enjoy the whole experience, the season, the highs, the lows. Just embrace it. Be a fan. Don't live and die with it because that's pretty much what I was doing. Not literally, of course, figuratively I'm speaking, but living and dying with this team. And it's just exhausting. It is freaking mentally and at times physically exhausting. And I think now with the Buffalo Bills, and maybe this will kind of temper my expectations a little bit and help me do a better job of just enjoying the season, embracing the summer, getting ready for the fall and the start of Bills season, and not going so damn psychopathic crazy during the games, especially during the games and sometimes leading up to these games is I think the Bills are a team right now that is very competitive. I think they're a team that will consistently be competitive, you know, for years to come. And I'm going to just try to focus on finding the good in that. And if they can get past the divisional round, awesome, man, a bonus. But I see a football team right now, the way they're constructed with some of the defense, some of the veterans, and especially the head coach, and the owner, and I just look at a team that this is who they are now. This is three straight years. This is who the Buffalo Bills are. And until something significantly changes, this is their this is their ceiling. So anyway, I'm at least a little bit relieved to, to have that stress gone. I, I just, I don't know. It feels really weird because we're Bills fans and it hurts like hell to see them lose, especially to the goddamn Kansas City Chiefs at home. I mean, that sucks. That sucks royally. But, I don't know. I just feel a little bit of sense of just, like, I got, got my normal self back, man. I was having, like, out-of-body experiences, especially late in the season when they were playing Dallas and they were th these must-win games. Kansas City and Arrowhead 
a couple months ago, a handful of weeks ago, going to Miami, the season finale, just anxiety through the roof, man. And I just, I failed to just kind of step back and enjoy it. So I'm going to reset and hopefully I'll be better uh, going forward. And then from a content creation standpoint, to be completely honest with you, speaking only from content creation here in this show, nothing else from that aspect. It's not the worst thing either because this isn't talking bills. This is talking Buffalo. And I realize now, and to be fair, it's what the people is what you guys and girls want during this time of year is pretty much nonstop bills talk, but that's not what this show, at least it's not what it's supposed to be all about. And that's what it's become over the last couple of months. So I look forward to getting back and having casual conversations, uh, talking to sports media people beyond just the bills, talking to people in Buffalo, news media people, maybe some business owners, politicians, entertainers outside of Buffalo, things that I used to do on the show a lot more regularly that I kind of put the brakes on because of this bill season. So from a content creation standpoint, I'm really looking forward to being able to start really soon, not today, but really soon uh, start doing more, which I feel like is good news. It's good news for me. It's good news for the viewer or the listener who wants more than just exclusively Buffalo Bills talk. It ain't good news for the Sabres, I'll tell you that, though. That fucking team, because they have really flown under the radar when it comes to this show. I pretty much have neglected the Sabres because I've been all in on the Buffalo Bills. But now that this season's over and I can start turning my attention more to these underachieving, non-goal-scoring sons of bitches right now, not going to be really good news for all the Sabres and maybe some of their diehard fans. But there will start almost immediately being significantly more of Buffalo Sabres coverage, among other stuff here uh, on this show. Real quick, then I want to get to a break, but I, I want to talk about a take that I had immediately following the show. And then after watching the game film and, and learning some more things, one of those where I talked about where I say when you watch, uh, you know, before you watch a film, you might have an opinion. And then when you watch the tape, you might come away with something different. Well, now I do because in the moments following the game on Sunday night, I was a pretty staunch defender of Sean McDermott. And I said that uh, I admire, admired his aggressiveness going forward on an early fourth down, uh, the fake punt attempt, other aspects of the game. I, I, I said, you know, this guy's going to go down aggressive, which has been the opposite of what he's been in the playoffs during his tenure as Bill's head coach. And, uh, you know, I also said that the defensive line ultimately is what let them down more than Sean McDermott. And I still stand by that, by the way. But now that I've watched the game back, there's a couple things that really bother me. And, and it is 100% on Sean McDermott. The biggest one by far, and I mean by far, was Sean McDermott's decision to play and not only start, but stick with A.J. Klein for the majority of this football game instead of Dorian Williams. I think that was a grave mistake for Sean McDermott and his defense, especially when you actually watch the football game back, man. All week long, Sean McDermott knew that it was unlikely that Terrell Bernard was going to play. So he had all week long to figure something out with this defense 
And I can't believe he did not decide that despite being a rookie, despite the, the mistakes he makes, despite the fact that you got to trust your guy to be able to, you know, your middle linebacker to be able to call the, the singles, put that green dot on your helmet. I can't believe that with a full week's preparation that the Bills did not pull the trigger in this game against that opponent with that tight end and go with the far more athletic Dorian Williams and A.J. Klein. That was such a big mistake. A.J. Klein doesn't have the athleticism. A.J. Klein doesn't have the speed. And quite frankly, watching the game back, it didn't look like A.J. Klein had the uh, conditioning to be up for that task, to play that many snaps. There were some plays on film where he looked like he was dead-ass tired trying to run somebody down. It was brutal. I tweeted about it on uh, Monday. When I watched that game back and a couple of the plays that A.J. Klein, whether it was Kelsey cooking him in coverage, whether it was there was a run, it wasn't even Pacheco either. It was, um, it was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Takes a, a handoff on the right side, right around midfield or so. Linval Joseph, who just got bullied the whole game, the 11 steps that he played or whatever, did nothing. But anyway, he hits a hole. And I'm telling you, A.J. Klein had a beat on him, and he and didn't even end up being close. And then he chases the guy 25 yards down the field. I'm thinking in my mind, Dorian Williams might have missed an assignment. He might have done something wrong, but he was not going to not be able to get to him in that gap, in that spot, and potentially uh, make a play. It was just, I don't know. There was another play, too, that you see on tape. They, they blitzed A.J. Klein, and I'm telling you, he looped around. And you could have packed a lunch. It took so long for him to get to the quarterback. Not because he was blocked, because he ran an, an outside stunt. He was just that slow. So I look at this tape, and I'm like, A.J. Klein was one of the worst players, maybe the worst player on the football field. And shame on Sean McDermott for not having more confidence in the much more physically gifted, athletically talented rookie, Dorian Williams. I think. That cost the Bills dearly. And you know, if Terrell Bernard got hurt in the first series of the game, if he started and then you're going to A.J. Klein because you didn't have time all week to prepare Dorian Williams, then I could certainly understand it. But you knew all week long, quite literally all week long, that there was going to be a very good chance that Terrell Bernard couldn't go. And shame on Sean McDermott for not having the more gifted linebacker physically out there in a, a lot of situations. I feel like he could have made a couple plays. You know, he played and he did get snaps and he had a, a bad call by the referee, which ended up being a pass interference. But that aside, Dorian Williams actually did a couple of things out there. So I just think that was an egregious mistake by Sean McDermott that cost him dearly. And then just the defense overall. You know, I, I thought he didn't blitz enough and I know who the other quarterback is and I know he's going to make you pay. And I know, you know, you got your old safeties and Russell Douglas is out there hobbing around and A.J. Klein. I get all that, but you know what? It was obvious to anybody. And you ain't got to be a film expert. You could see they were not going to get to Pat Mahomes with four people. And he just kind of surrendered. And he said, you know, the, the, the mindset that it felt like with the Bills defense is, oh boy, I hope the Chiefs make a mistake here. I hope we can bat a pass. I hope they can make one mistake. You know, we'll bend, but don't break. Let's just hope for the best. That was like the Bills' defensive velocity for almost the entire game, man. Just, it was really bad. So when I watch the tape back and I watch the actual Bills' defense and I see the personnel decisions that he made out there and the uh, 
the decision to not at least attempt to be more aggressive. And if Pat Mahomes beat you, he beat you, man. I know you need to be able to count on your D-line to get there with four people. You invest so much resource into this line, but they just weren't getting it done. Everybody could see it. And it just continued to do essentially really nothing about it. So a bad job by Sean McDermott. And, you know, I could sit here and I, I read the tweets. I read Facebook statuses from my friends. I, I see the IG post. Everybody, which happens when you lose a playoff game. It happens when you lose three straight years in the divisional round, two of them at home. Fans are going to call for your head. Some media, some content creators might call for your head. I'm just not going to put any energy into that at all. Not going to, I'm not going to waste five minutes of my life thinking about who could potentially be the next coach for the Buffalo Bills. Would Terry Bagula fire Sean McDermott and bring in Bill Belichick? Because I've heard that shit a lot all day on Monday. You know why I don't do that? Because it ain't happening, Captain. It's not happening. There's zero, less than zero chance that Terry Bagula is going to fire Sean McDermott. So. Get that thought out of your head and start to think of ways that Brandon Bean might be able to improve this roster somehow during this uh, potentially tumultuous, crazy uh, offseason because your boy Sean McDermott just straight up isn't getting fired. Uh, let me take a real quick break and I'm going to come back. I got some more thoughts and I'll get through them a lot quicker <laughs> than these first series of thoughts. Be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, I am back here talking Buffalo. Today's episode is presented by the Serial Spot on Elwood Avenue in Buffalo. Open Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. Make sure you go check them out. More than just a cereal bar, man. Great place to go for a dessert. Great place to bring the family. Again, Friday, Saturday, Sundays at the Serial Spot. Look, I said it yesterday. Watch the tape, and I feel even stronger about it now. To me, the biggest reason the Bills lost my single biggest takeaway from this game 
remains the absolute, complete, utter no-show of the Bills' defensive line. From a Bills fan perspective, you could say Josh Allen was the best player on the field on Sunday. And it's not completely inaccurate. Josh Allen was fantastic. More on him in a second. But I'm going to tell you, you know what the best unit on the football field was on Sunday night? It was the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line because they manhandled the Bills defensive line. The Bills defensive line was zero factor. Zero. Nobody did anything on that defense. They got lucky to even get a couple pressures. You want some perspective? Here it is. Vaughn Miller, the uh, the easy punching bag. And trust me, I've thrown as many haymakers at Vaughn Miller over the last two months as anybody. But to, to blame Vaughn Miller for this loss is just silly because on this defensive line on Sunday night, Vaughn Miller was their best player. And he only played, I think, 15 snaps. And he did more with those 15 snaps than anyone else on the Bills' entire defensive line did through the duration of the game. And that's not me exaggerating. That's the straight-up truth, man. It's the truth. And not once, but two straight years now, Ed Oliver, who admittedly was fantastic all season long. You know, going into the season, my big beef with Ed Oliver is he's been such a splash player. He looks dominant and drives sometimes for a game or two, and then he disappears for a couple of weeks. That's been the story of his career before this season. Last year, Bengals playoff game, a Houdini acted, disappearing act, did zero, nothing. Didn't have Daquan Jones with him. A lot of people would use that as an excuse. Anyway, gets a new contract during the offseason, and Ed Oliver tore shit up this year. I feel like you can make a very reasonable case that when you look back to 2023 Buffalo Bills season, that Ed Oliver might have been the most consistently good player on this entire football team. That said, two years running now, when it mattered most, AFC divisional round playoff in your house, Ed Oliver disappeared. Ed Oliver did nothing, and I mean nothing, against the Kansas City Chiefs. And unlike last year, there was no Daquan Jones excuse because Daquan Jones, who also did nothing, was in the lineup as well on Sunday. And I'll give Daquan a little bit of a pass, man. Your boy worked his ass off to get back from a significant injury that kept him out for a lot of the season. So I don't think it's fair and reasonable to expect to see the Daquan Jones that we saw through the first month of the season who was playing at an all-pro, one-tech defensive tackle uh, level. Him being out there was... uh. It, it was an asset to the defense, although it was not an asset to the defense on this night. So he did nothing. Ed did nothing. Greg Rousseau had maybe one or two little moments, but outside of that, nothing. A.J. Epinesa, nothing. Leonard Floyd, short of one hustle pass rush, nothing. And a lot of these guys I'm running off here, they're good players, man. They had good seasons, but they just had their worst game at the most inopportune time. That's straight up what it was. And as for the Bills' backup defensive tackles, if you think it was bad, and it was bad, when Ed and Daquan are out, then they're doing nothing. Boy, oh boy, should you watch that tape and see what happened when Tim Settle and Laval Joseph were out there. Holy shit. It was a bloodbath of ineffective, nothing plays. 
Pacheco scored a touchdown at one point during this game. Linval Joseph, who weighs like 550 pounds, it feels like when you look at him, almost got blocked into the third row. Seriously, Tim Settle, two years now. I thought this guy was going to be, you know, I heard when he came from Washington, he's a really good player and has just lacked opportunity. Well, I'm going to tell you what, man, in a Sean McDermott defense, that rotation, you're going to get tons of opportunities, and he's had them, and he just hasn't done anything with them. Not on any type of consistent level whatsoever. So watching this tape and looking back, my number one beef remains the Bills' defensive line play, more specifically, the Bills' defensive tackle play, and even more specifically than that, Ed Oliver's no-show for a second straight year in a playoff elimination loss. And I heard the guy maybe a week or so ago talking about, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but feeling a little bit on the snubbed side when the All-Pro um, came out or the Pro Bowl, whatever it was, maybe it was both of them, who knows, where he felt snubbed because he didn't make it. Well, I'm going to tell you what, you better... If you feel, felt snubbed about that over the regular season, which I have a gripe for, by the way, if those voters watch that playoff game, <laughs> you ain't got nothing to be feeling snubbed over about because Ed Oliver did nothing in this game, and it was frustrating. Um, quickly, and we'll expand on some of these, by the way. I mean, we got nothing but time now. We're going to start working another stuff besides the Bills. I just said it at the beginning, but you know, we'll kind of deep dive into a topic here and a topic there a little bit more in detail. Uh, in the coming days and in, in a couple of weeks here. But Stefan Diggs, again, three straight playoff losses. The last time, or I should say the last three playoff losses for the Bills, last three elimination games for them, 63 yards combined, all three. And Stefan Diggs is just, I don't know what's going on. I mean, this guy is at worst a top 10 receiver. At best, he's a top five receiver in the NFL. But just one there in the second half of the season. I think he won the last 13 games, didn't have 100 yards. Khalil Shakir had more yards on less catches than him. Just really weird to see this offense and, and actually get better for the most part down the stretch without Stefan Diggs being a, a major contributor at all. And I wonder how much injuries played a role. I know he's playing through some pain for sure. Foot, uh, shoulder bothering him some. I think he had a hand issue at one point too. But I don't know, man. He dropped that bomb. Josh Allen threw that ball out of the stadium and it landed. It came back into the stadium, 60 or so yards down the field in his hands, and he dropped it. Just you can't you can't have that. You can't have that. And last season was, you know, a lot of cryptic tweeting from Stefan, not showing up to OTAs and all that other shit. First day of uh, mandatory camp. And it was an issue, but I always felt like it was kind of a much ado about nothing because there's just no way in the world the Bills are going to trade this guy. It's going to be an interesting offseason. It really is. I, I don't know. It still would be very difficult to trade him, but not impossible. Not impossible. So I don't know how he feels about this organization right now. Um, it's, It was just disappointing, man. He He's your star receiver. And to some extent, to some extent, not to the likes of Ed Oliver, but to some extent, another star player who is one of your best players on the team and just kind of had to disappear that, quite frankly, here. Uh, and a playoff loss. Another takeaway, too, is just specialties, man. You know, this this unit was a Deontay Hardy 95, 96-yard, whatever it was, yard punt return at Hard Rock Stadium in the finale away from being 
a 100% disaster for the season. I mean, Hardy saves you maybe 10%. Can't call a team, a unit, a complete epic disaster for the whole season because one individual play propelled them to winning the AFC East and getting home field for two weeks. But you take away that play, and this unit was just freaking trash all year long. Going all the way back to the first game of the year, a punt return for a touchdown as they lost in overtime to the Jets. Uh, you can go to the Denver game where Denver misses a field goal at the end. The clock reads zero. The Bills escape with a victory. Only no, because the Buffalo Bills had too many men on the field and they give a second chance at a field goal. Denver kicks it and the Bills lose. You could directly tie that loss to, to special teams there. And then you got Tyler Bass, who misses not one, not two, but three field goals in the playoffs. And I tell you, people are calling for his head. Some of you disgusting scumbags, by the way, quite literally, the guy had to delete his uh, Instagram because I read reports that people were actually giving him death threats. And I'm sure it's only a small smattering of people. But if you happen to be one of those small smattering of people that might be listening to the show or watching it right now, I got news for you. You are a fucking piece of shit, loser, scum of the earth. So I want to throw that out there. If you're giving a man death threats because he missed a field goal in a playoff game, you are a scumbag because nobody in this world deserves that because they can't kick a football through the uprights. There's no one on earth who feels worse right now, I guarantee you, than Tyler Bass. So you're a scumbag if you're wishing death on somebody over a fucking football game. But anyway, returning to the football side, more reasonable people are saying, Bills need to move on from this guy. Well, it's probably not going to happen. You look at the numbers, you look at the salary cap, you look at his contract. For the Bills to cut him, they would eat $7.4 million in dead cap money to save 2.9. And there's no cap saving if you wait to June 1st either. Some people might say, well, if you wait for June 1st, no different. You're saving like 100000 against the cap. Let me rephrase what I just said too, by the way. I said to save 2.9, that's inaccurate. The Bills would actually eat $7 million in dead cap and they would actually lose $2.9 million against the cap. So it would actually cost the Bills dead cap money and cap space to cut Tyler Bass. Translation, Brandon Mee gave the guy an extension and the Bills are, are, might rue that day because he ain't going anywhere. But back to the whole point, just a general thing. Special teams suck this year. And then you go back to Sunday and uh, the fake punt. Which, by the way, you just heard me run down some of the shit I hated about Sean McDermott in this game on Sunday night. I still stand by the fake punt being, uh, I, I didn't hate the call. I really didn't. He knew that the, his defense was not making a stop to save their life. Up to that point, up to that fake punt, quite literally, the Chiefs hadn't punted or been stopped, with the exception of basically taking a kneel down with 20 seconds left at the end of the first half. That's it. So. He wanted to catch them off guard. Now, I hear so many people say, well, they should have just went for it if they're going to do that. Put the ball in the arms of your quarterback. Well, you're at the 35-yard line, and it's fourth and five. If it's fourth and one, sure. Fourth and five, the odds of getting that are not very good. And the Bills' philosophy, the reason why teams run fake punts 
is because they think they're going to catch the, the other team off guard. That's why you run a fake punt. The mistake was, well, there was two mistakes. Number one, should not have given the ball to DeMar Hamlin. My issue with the with the plays is not the call, it's the execution. And that started with, I think the Bills, fourth and five from their own 35. They could have easily gotten away with having Ty Johnson out there instead of DeMar Hamlin. I don't think the Chiefs would have smelled a fake coming because Ty Johnson was out there blocking. And you could have sat there to Ty Johnson. Maybe he breaks a tackle, something DeMar was not going to do. Ty Johnson has better vision. He can see the field better. So I feel like you should have had Ty Johnson in that spot. But probably doesn't matter because when you watch the film, Tyrell Dodson, Quinton Morris, and uh, now it's escaping me. There was another guy too. Three guys missed a block. I know Morris was one of them. I know Dodson was one of them as well. Oh, Dorian Williams. He was the third. All three of those guys did not get a helmet on their guy. And Hamlin had no chance. But anyway, I don't hate the call. But I hate the execution. It was a special teams blunder because they didn't get it done. So on a team that I think personnel, player-wise, there's going to be a lot of change because of so many free agents and the salary cap. Structurally, I don't think there's going to be many changes. But one I do see happening is I could see Matthew Smiley losing his job, as he probably should, for uh, to have to answer for the Bills' uh, special team woes. But yeah, I just, I didn't hate the punt, man. I just, I, I did not hate the punt. I, I respected the call. If they get it, you're giving Sean McDermott a lot of credit. You know, here's this ballsy dude, this guy who's just sat out his ass playing prevent defenses in the playoffs the last couple of years. Now he's running fake punts at his own 35. That's really, that's Dan Campbell's shit right there. It just didn't work. So you can't call basically call a coach a pussy and they be mad when he's trying to be aggressive. That, that that's all I'm saying. So anyway. Uh, Josh Allen, again, I don't want to deep dive into him today. There's going to be plenty of episodes mostly devoted to him. I will just say this. I don't think any less of Josh Allen now than I did before this game. I thought he lived up to the hype. I thought he certainly held up his end of the bargain. Um, Josh Allen played well enough for the Bills to win this football game. He got it done with his legs. couple spectacular plays, scrambling at that throw to Shakir. Shakir made a great catch. But Josh should be able to throw that ball and get it to him. Phenomenal play. Very first series of the game is third and 15. Bills is looking like it's going to be a three and out to open the game, which would have sucked. He starts running, sees Ty Johnson in his peripheral, laterals the ball to him, gets him within a half yard. Josh didn't converts on fourth and inches. I thought Josh Allen accounted for three touchdowns, no turnovers. I thought Josh played very well, well enough to win. That said, Bills only scored seven points in the second half. And Josh Allen probably had his lone bad-ish, not completely bad, but bad-ish drive when it mattered most, the end of the game. Should have lost a fumble. Chris Jones knocked the ball loose, and luckily Spencer Brown was there. But we're going to keep looking back all offseason long to the last two minutes. It's second and nine from the 26. And people are going to see on film that Stefan Diggs is wide open underneath, which you need to be careful with that though, because Chris Jones was barreling in on Deion Dawkins, which really disrupted the play. Saved the day for the Chiefs defense, by the way. I'm not sure that because of the angle he was coming in on, Josh had a really good lane to get the ball to Stefan in stride on the move on the left side because of the way the rush was coming at him. I don't hate the call to Shakir. 
I don't like the Bills, the thought of the Bills scoring with a minute 50 something left and giving the Chiefs a chance to uh, to win the game still, you know, having two timeouts. But if you score that touchdown, you're up four, not three. And the Chiefs got to get into the end zone. And you just got to take a chance at your defense to score. Basically, what I'm saying is if you're criticizing Josh for not taking the check down there on second down and going for the touchdown to Shakir, who was open, I think you got it wrong. You got a chance to score and go up four. Inside of two minutes, you have to do it. You have to make that play. And Josh just didn't make the throw. Not entirely his fault. Cut through it flat-footed in part because Chris Jones is just fucking phenomenal. Is bull rushing Deion Dawkins back into him. Affected the throw. I go to Chris Jones. And I shouldn't compare to Ed Oliver to Chris Jones because Chris Jones is almost a, a unicorn-type defensive tackle. But... At some point of the game, you need to see Ed Oliver do something similar, and he just did it. But anyway, Josh had that throw, could not make it. I don't hate the decision to throw to Shakir, just the execution sucked. But then the real play to me was the third and nine. So it's third and nine, and Josh rolled out to the right, felt some pressure, and threw it incomplete, and then that led to the missed field goal. Dalton Kincaid, more than second and nine with Diggs. Dalton Kincaid broke up in the middle of the field and you watch the tape. And this was before Josh Allen got flushed. So he wasn't even feeling the pressure yet. He just did not throw that ball to Kincaid. If he throws it to him, worst case, and I mean worst case, the Bills are looking at a fourth and maybe one from the 17, 18 yard line. And then Sean's got himself a decision to make. But he didn't throw the ball to Kincaid. And by the way, that's assuming Kincaid doesn't lean forward, catch the ball either break a tackle or carry somebody with him for a yard to get a first down, which he did two or three times on Sunday night. That's where Josh made the bigger mistake. It wasn't on second and nine to Shakir. It was on third and nine, not getting the ball to Dalton Kincaid. Because even if you kick the field goal, you're going to make Kansas City use a timeout because they had two. And now instead of a 44-yard field goal, it's a 36, 37-yard field goal. And I feel better about Tyler Bass making that kick at least. So, that's where Josh, to me, kind of screwed up there at the end. The last, it was the third down play uh, more than a second after watching the tape. Anyway, I just, <laughs> I'm running out of energy. You know, I said I had no more anxiety and angst and kind of feel a little bit relieved. And I still, you know, that wasn't a lie I do. It's just talking about this game and going over all these points. I'm getting to the point of the show where I'm starting to get depressed. I'm back to that depression mode now. It's not relief. I said relief early. Now I'm getting into that depressive stage yet again. Uh, just a, a general takeaway here, not about this game necessarily specifically, but it's time for Sean and for Brandon to, you know, take a long look at themselves, man. Take a long look in the mirror and this football team structurally. And you now you got to move the goalposts. This can't be the goal. And it's tough to tell on Monday when you have locker clean out day, but you had some out, out, upbeat stuff from Josh and, and Deion Dawkins. From what I heard, I didn't hear all the guys talk, but I'm going to move those goalposts back. You know, Tyler Dunn is such a lightning rod for Bills fans, and it will be for years to come because of the story put out on Sean. But I remember back to the year before that, I had Ty Dunn on a live show with me at Imperial Pizza. Shout out Imperial Pizza, by the way. And Tyler talked about, and this was after the Cincinnati loss, going into this season, just talking about the goalposts needs to be moved. The standard needs to be higher. I hate when the Bills win the AFC East, that's cool and it's important. Don't get me wrong. Winning your division, that's where it starts because that guarantees you a home game. I get all that. But it's like, 
You want to go out and rush out and buy AFC champ or AFC East champion t-shirts? Congratulations. You're one of the best four teams in your division. Out of four teams, you're the best. The standard needs to be higher. Getting to this point should not be the standard. And I really hope that the Bills operate with that premise. Not that they completely haven't, because I think they were pretty much as close to all in as you can get this year. I mean, you, you get Linval Joseph off the street in November. You sign guys like Leonard Floyd in the summertime, Puna Ford in the summertime. I mean, they were trying their best to load up this roster. So I'm not saying Brandon Bean wasn't committed to get into the Super Bowl now. But you got your quarterback, man. You got your unicorn quarterback. You really, you need to find a way to continue this, whether it's keeping continuing the kick, the, the myth, salary cap can down the road, draft better, trade for, for, for young, good players on team-friendly contracts. This is going to be a incredibly significant offseason for the Bills. Because like I said, I think the AFC East, or not the AFC East, I think the whole AFC, it's going to get harder, man. Joe Burrow's going to be back. Aaron Rodgers' old ass going to be back. Cleveland's going to be retooled. Houston's on the come up. Kansas City ain't going nowhere. Baltimore looks like it's here to stay for a while. There's other teams, too, that come out. Jacksonville might get their shit together. Miami might get their shit together. The road in the AFC is not going to be easy for the Bills. So you got to keep up with the Joneses. And it's just going to be a critical year with so many free agents that the Bills are likely going to lose and not having a lot of cap room. This is just going to be on uh, It's going to be on Brandon to really re retool this team. Um, it's going to be the end of the road for several players. You know, Micah Hyde talked about on Monday the, the sadness and the disappointment. And so did Mitch Morse, who, by the way, said he's not retiring. He'd like to play again for the Bills, who is under contract. We'll see how that plays out. But these guys were talking about sadness because they know that this team is not going to be the same next year. You know, a lot of these guys they played with on Sunday, it's going to be the last time uh, they play with them. We'll say, though, there is, you know, even with the salary cap shitty situation, there's some good things with the Bills going on. I mean, of course, besides Josh Allen, that goes without saying. But, you know, you got a good start. You're going to need to get cheaper and younger with contracts and talent. And the Bills have some core-type players now on both sides of the ball. You go on the offensive side, you got James Cook, you got Dalton Kincaid, you got Khalil Shakir, who really sucks at the Bills' loss because this guy – deserves so much shine for how he played down the stretch and especially in this game in the playoffs, man. He was freaking phenomenal, Khalil Shakir. So you got that on your offensive side. And then your defensive side, you got some good, young, cheap guys to build on, like like uh, Terrell Bernard, who was a revelation in his first year starting at middle linebacker. Christian Benford, another one, too. A really good, solid, young corner. Uh, the team clearly is not ready to give up on Kyrie Lam. So there's some young cheap talent on this roster. A good start for uh, for Brandon Bean. But anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Like I said, just kind of my day later uh, takeaways. And the difference between today and yesterday's show is that I actually had an opportunity to uh, go and watch the film. And it taught me some things. None so more than the fact that AJ Klein should not have been on that field. Sean stuck with him way too long. And they should have rolled the dice with... Uh, with Dorian Williams. But anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for watching and for listening. I'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow. Take care.